When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. This episode of Writing Excuses has been brought to you by our listeners, patrons, and friends. If you would like to learn how to support this podcast, visit www.patreon.com slash writing excuses. Season 12, Episode 17. This is Writing Excuses Q&A on style, diction, and paragraphing. 15 minutes long. Because you're in a hurry. And we're not that. <laughs> what are we Smart! <laughs> you people. Yeah, okay, this is, I'm Brandon. I'm Piper. I'm oh, yeah. Dan. I'm Howard. All right, I'm going to give them questions and distract them from doing stuff like this. Um, Catherine asks, is it okay to have pretty prose in a fairly straightforward adventure story? Yes. 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 Next question. <laughs> no, I, 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 I like it because if a straightforward adventure story that is just blow by blow workman prose the whole time uh, isn't offering me anything except the adventure, and I want, I, I want to see more. I want to feel more, and prettier words are going to make it more interesting. Part Action of the is charm beautiful. of um, the Barsoom books. Um, mm-hmm is the fact that they were written in an era where what we might call purple right now is was a little more common, but it's not always purple. And it is this has often this very lyrical, beautiful prose about a naked man on Mars fighting four-armed monsters for a an equally naked princess. Um, yeah. And you're like, this is ridiculous, but you're writing it so straight and beautiful. So I think there's there's room for all kinds of prose. Well, and I would also add... You know, adventure movies are often some of the most beautiful ones. Yeah. The oh, yeah. big shots of desert and jungle in Indiana mm-hmm. Jones. Mm-hmm. That's what your narration is supposed to make up for is that we don't get to see that. You have to describe it. I'm going to I'm gonna say I'm a sucker for a really well-written action scene, a mm. beautifully written action scene. Jim Butcher writes some gorgeous battle scenes. And the prose in that is quite beautiful and violent. All right. Um, how do author voice and character voice differ? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> author voice. Well, um, I talk like a normal person. Um, character voice. It depends on my character. My character may be a very soft, gentle, shy person, which is completely in contrary to myself. Um, it could be a guy. <laughs> you know, who's my character? Yeah, I think we probably covered this pretty well in the style episode, but I'm interested in hearing your take on it. Do you have, Piper, an authorial voice that you like? This is the Piper voice. 
I have developed a voice um, per genre, I think. So my romantic suspense, I'm very well known for um, very short clipped thought moments, right? So I'll go through a narrative and I have a tendency to end with a pithy phrase or a short clipped phrase and then move on. And that's my deep POV. My deep POV isn't a longer paragraph. My deep POV tends to be a short thought by the character. And then we go back to a higher level of third person. Right. Now, did you develop that specifically? Like, did, were you conscious or was it a natural thing? I kind of fell into it naturally, especially considering the types of characters I was writing. I was writing a lot of ex-military. I was writing okay. mercenaries. Um, whether they were male or female, they had a very concise frame of mind and, um, and, and were just very high efficiency and therefore had that way of thinking. But every once in a while, we'd go deeper or we'd go into further narrative. And so, like, you had that, that ebb and flow of wording, but it always come back, comes back to that tight line somewhere in there that goes into the deep POV. Okay. Um, I think it'd be interesting to those of you who are asking this same question to yourselves, um, look at blog posts by writers you like and then read some of their fiction and ask yourself how those voices are different. Because I know that for me, the voice that I use when I'm writing a movie review, the voice that I use when I'm, when I'm tweeting something versus the voice I use when I'm writing Sergeant Schlock versus Kevin Andreessen, you know, the, the scientist, uh, those are all discrete. And the movie review is the one that is unconscious and is the most like my natural voice. All of the others are, I'm making conscious decisions about the voice itself. I have a question for you specifically then, because Nick asks, um, how do you ensure consistency in authorial voice in a novel that has taken several years to write? Well, in a graphic (laughs) novel that has taken uh, well over a decade to write, have you done anything to ensure a consistent voice or? Um. Uh, confession time, I'm, I, I will often say with regard to the problems inherent in writing the same story over the space of 16 years, uh, Schlock Mercenary is what it is. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to go back and fix voice things. I've looked at things that I wrote in the past and realized, oh, that's not a very good way to tell, that, tell the story that way. I don't like that piece of character voice. I bet I can make that character more believable if I change the way they speak this way in this book. And so, uh, and so I, I change. And that might break the work for some people, but I think it makes the work better. If, however, I had been working on the same 150,000-word novel uh, for five years, I would make an editorial pass in which I reduce it to a 100,000-word novel and make sure that my voice is consistent. I'd, I'd fix that in editing. Excellent. Um, All right. Uh, Walker asks, besides just knowing, how do you make sure your paragraphs don't ever ramble or slow the pace of your novel? Ooh, pacing. Mm. (laughs) uh, I use the upside-down rule. Um, And usually it happens when I'm editing is I'll, and I've talked about this on the podcast before, sometimes I will write my way into an idea and then state the idea very clearly at the end of the paragraph. And the paragraph becomes more interesting if I lead with the idea and then support it with a few sentences. And so that exercise, just taking a paragraph and turn it upside down, 
um, will often tell me, is it too long? Did I say too much? Does it even need to be here? I also look for redundant statements because if you decide to state the same thing three times in a paragraph, you might be able to take one or two of those out. So if your paragraph's running long. Unless you're writing three, you know, a three-beat joke in the paragraph. But that redundancy is part of the joke. But yeah, but that's a different, you're writing a different thing. Yeah. And you're doing it on purpose. Yeah. yeah. I'm always really concerned, probably overly concerned with this, because as I read other people's books, I find that they tend to describe things and explain things way more than I do. And I think that's because I just get real antsy about it. If I get at the end of a description of something and feel compelled to write, hey, Earth to character, where have you been for the last three paragraphs? Then I know I've written too much. Um, And I think I feel that more often than I should, but that is one sign that I have way gone over the top. Actually, I, I would say that what I find is a sign is sometimes I'll be in dialogue and I'll have a question as the last thing that was said. And then I'll go into some sort of narrative. And I realize it's too long if I get to mm-hmm. the next piece of dialogue and no one remembers what that question was that they're now answering. Then that transition took too yeah. long. And questions are, are a place that happens a lot because you're like, hey, did you get the blah, blah, blah? And then you have to describe what the blah, blah, blah is. And then everyone forgot about the question. Exactly. I love the blah, blah, blah. <laughs> okay. Did you get it, though? Yeah. Um, I feel like my writing, Oliver says, is derivative of other writers, the ones I love to read. How can I find my own voice? By writing a book. Continual. <laughs> uh, continue, to do, continue to do the thing that you do, and you kind of find yourself as you go do it. Remember, human being creativity, what we call creativity is recombination. Mm-hmm. We do not... I I say this frequently, we don't imagine new colors. We don't imagine new tastes. We take things that we have experienced, we remix them into a way that is distinctive for us, and we we become that. My style is heavily influenced by the authors I read and read growing up. Don't stress this as much as you might be feeling that you are. The more you write, the more interested you are in your writing and in other people's writings, the more your style will come to you comfortably. And we hit Mm -hmm. this topic in the first week of the month, but we, I will hit it again. Don't stress it. You can do things to, to move it along, but don't stress it. Well, and I will add, I did not really feel like I had a good sense of what my own style or voice was until I was writing partials mm-hmm. uh, because it was so different from John Cleaver. It was, it was easier for me at that point to look back and say, well, my style isn't just John Cleaver and my style isn't just partials. My style is somewhere in the middle. And so you might have to write four or five books before you really know who you are as a writer. In different series, I think. Yeah. When it comes down to it. Yeah. We noticed that I have a very similar voice across paranormal romance or sci-fi romance and my romantic suspense. My voice carries, even though the two genres and the settings are wildly Mm -hmm. different. And I think by that definition, your voice might be the parts that carry across from genre to genre and style to style. Yeah. By way of metaphor, there's a story by Lloyd Biggle Jr. called uh, Toonsmith in which uh, someone who is a famous music writer but who is kept by the government isolated from all other music. They want his music to remain pure and somebody smuggles him some Bach and he listens to it and falls in love with it uh, but he's horrified because he's now committed a crime by listening to someone else's work. I mean, th- this short story is is perfect for anxiety of influence, which is what you're describing here, yep. okay? And uh, 
But yeah, but he's terrified because now I've committed this crime and I need nobody to know because I'll lose my job. He ends up losing his job and he asks the guy, well, why, how, how did you know that I listened to Bach? I, I, I thought I hid all that. And the guy said, it's because everything that could have sounded like Bach disappeared from your music. <laughs> and so when I think of anxiety of influence, I think of that. I'm never going to be able to remove my influences from my voice. They might be the parts of my voice that people love the most. I have no way of knowing. The important thing is that I just keep writing. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm going to stop us for the book of the week. Um, number one, you could go read that story, which sounds awesome. Lloyd Biggle Jr., Toonsmith. Um, but one of the things I love about having transitioned to an ad-free version of Writing Excuses is that we can pick things that we didn't used to be able to. Um, and some of those are graphic novels. Howard's book of the week for us is Wayward. Yep. Uh, Wayward, volume one. Uh, it's uh, written by Jim Zub. Um, I'm a bad person. I don't have the names of the, the penciler and the inker and the colorist and the letterer uh, all memorized, but it is the story of, describing it in mashup terms, think of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, except she's in Japan with Japanese uh, oni and, and other demons, and, and the things that are happening the, you know, her ability to interact with the demons and her, you know, friends and their abilities. Uh, Jim is creating some beautiful metaphors for the culture of Japan and the culture, uh, modern culture in general. Also, it's just a rock and good story about girls and kittens and demons and, and stuff. Now, are the kittens demons at all? Uh, that would be some a of them, spoiler. Some of them okay. might be. Anyway, <laughs> <Maybe>. Wayward, <laughs> Volume 1 by Jim Zub. And I have read some Jim Zub because Howard uh, foisted him upon me, and I have found them excellent books. He's really good. <clears throat> All right. So um, how much does diction play into genre fiction? I could say a lot. Yes. Okay. Uh, that one is handled. <laughs> when you say diction, you're specifically talking about our ability to speak the sentences that are no. written on the page? Uh, choosing words. Diction is using one word instead of another. Diction okay. choices. Mm-hmm. Yep. Sorry. This is talking to the, um, the audio. And, and, yeah, yeah. I, it's like, how did you say it versus what did you say versus, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. 
addiction, I would say, plays into science fiction, fantasy, genre, romance. Every genre. Every genre. All at, the time. Yeah. Yeah. When and it's you, not just dialogue. Mm-hmm. It's narrative. Mm-hmm. Just in the way that uh, technology is described. And, you know, that, that lets you know, do they have a really weird word for that thing? Do they just call it a car? When you're reading fantasy, most fantasy is wildly anachronistic anyway. But m- the good stuff doesn't feel like it, even though... I don't, okay. I don't, yeah. Let me ask you this, because um, Amanda has something that piggybacks on this. Is it okay to write your natural speaking voice, or should you mix in more formal grammar as well? This kind of question, do you write like people really sound, or yeah. do you use the fake version I of how people I do really my sound? best in my own writing to write the way people actually talk. Okay. And I can get away with that in part because I am primarily writing either modern or near future. And so it doesn't feel weird to have, you know, an orc in a loincloth and an axe speaking the way I'm speaking right now. But I get away with bad grammar. I get away with um, all kinds of awful things with uh, plural disagreement, things like that. Uh, And the copy editors hate me for it and they fight me constantly. And I say, no, I know your version is right, but that's not how people talk. And that's not how this character talks. And so you just have to know why you're doing what you're doing and stick to it. Yeah, I have to watch that for the dialogue bubbles a lot. There was one recently where correct grammar would have been him and I, and I realized, uh, or he and I, and I realized, no, that's absolutely not how this character would say it. She'd say, me and him. And so I wrote it as me and him. And I know I'm going to get hate mail for it because it's bad grammar, but that's just the way that character's going to speak. Yeah. Genre matters too. I've noticed that... um, how how people talk or that the grammar that they use, it's going to be different if you're writing a Victorian steampunk as compared to writing a contemporary romantic suspense. And so the way people talk there, you want to think about your genre and where you're setting them as to whether or not you're going to use more formal phrasing versus more broken speech, right? Mm-hmm. It, it It's a level of, uh, was that a time where people spoke that way? if you're going to go with any kind of alternative history. Yeah. Um, And I'm going to point out here, there's a spectrum. In fact, it probably goes in multiple dimensions on picking how accurate you want to be. Because even most people who are very wanting to write very accurate speech will cut out the ums and ahs and -hmm. things like this, because the amount we actually do that is really distracting if you pay attention to it. Mm -hmm. But other people, and I I usually use Joss Whedon as this example, write people who do not speak like normal human beings do. They are like hyper clever, um, great at banter type people. And I Mm -hmm. like to write things like this when I can. Uh, I don't, I intentionally don't write my characters to sound like people do. I write my characters to read well and make a fun story. (laughs) And neither are wrong. Yeah. You're asking here, Amanda, you're saying, is it okay to write? Yes. The answer is it's okay to do anything in writing if mm-hmm. you are owning it and doing it intentionally. Now, one, one, I'll give a specific example of a place where I will cave toward mm-hmm. grammar. Uh, it is very common in modern American English to leave verbs out of sentences and to leave pronouns out of sentences. And I find that if I try to do that too much, it reads very poorly and it's hard to understand. And so I will find myself adding verbs back into a sentence that doesn't really need them just because it's going to read. When I'm writing schlock mercenary dialogue, I will often do those sorts of clipped sentences where something has been abbreviated and 
And when I read it, I realize, oh, 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 I'm picturing, I'm picturing the way the character is delivering this dialogue. And you can get away with the clipped sentence if they're gesturing at mm-hmm. something, if there's a prop they're interacting with. Uh, because to the reader, uh, the clipped sentence doesn't have enough information. And that's really yeah. where you're tripping and, them and, up. And the lack of information, what that means is that the reader is picking one of the other words and verbing it. And all of a sudden the sentence means something else. Yeah. Yeah. I think I'm going to end us um, on this one. During which part of the writing process should you focus on style? I'm going to say, which part do you focus on style? First draft, which revision, that sort of thing. Um, and I'll, I'll kick us off because you guys are kind of looking at me like this. Hmm. Um, <laughs> uh, my first style pass is draft three, usually. Draft one is get the book done. Just kick it out there. Draft two is, okay, since we just kicked it out there, we have huge continuity problems right and left. Let's fix those. Draft three is let's actually look at the style, listic choices, the diction, the paragraphing and these things and do my first polish. I will do that again, usually in a fifth or sixth draft as well. I'm usually on my second pass. Yeah. I'll start. Draft one is that mess, right? You're just getting it out. (laughs) Get it out. Finish it. Okay, fine. Maybe I'll come up with something clever or two in there that I absolutely love and write myself a note not to forget that I loved it. And that's that. But- Draft two, I'll start to be like, okay, what was I trying to do with that scene? Did I really do it? And that's where my style comes into play. I do what we always tell people not to do, and I focus a lot on style and wording in the first draft. Um, <laughs> and that's because we had a fist bump. That's because guys. That, that that's how it has to work for me because I know that it's not where I want it to be, and the characters are not saying things the way I want them to say them. If I'm just putting out, you know, this kind of unformed story. And the later drafts are for me to tighten it up and, you know, there for me to work on things like pacing and uh, mm. characterization. So the opposite I would of what love, I do. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I would love to be able to screen cap the process of writing a schlock mercenary strip because what you'll see is, uh, you know, a set of actual, you know, panel boxes on the screen and words appear in one of them and then in another one. And then in another one, and then I'm going back to the first set of words and adjusting them. And then I jump over and write the fourth sets of words. And then the second sets of words disappears entirely. And I scoot them around and then I resize the panels. And really the whole thing all comes together at once. And, and then I sleep on it and <laughs> come back to it the next day. I'm not going to commit art to that the same day it's I wrote it. like you write poetry about people shooting each other in the face. It's a little bit like poetry. Awesome. Um, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cap it here, though. I will reiterate something I spoke about in our, our style episode um, a number of weeks back. Remember, everyone has a style. It's like an accent. You would, the first time you meet somebody who says, oh, your accent's so interesting, and you're not used to thinking about that, you're like, I don't have an accent, right? Nobody thinks they have an accent. You do. Everybody has an accent. Everyone has a style. The whole conversation about developing your style is about looking and seeing what your style is, doing things consciously instead of unconsciously. You don't have to stress having a style. Instead, focus on how do I want to shift my style? I'm going to give you some homework that might help you with this. I want you to take something you've written, and I want you to give it to some alpha readers, people who may, it's okay if they've read your work before, but I want you to ask them to describe your style, not the 
character voice, but your voice. What are hallmarks expressed through your writing sample? And have them kind of make a bullet-pointed list and see if you give it to five people, what, if, how many of the bullet points are the same, how many of them are different. Uh, and hopefully this will get you to start thinking about that in the right way. What is my style rather than how do I come up with a style? Might also force you to engage with some human beings to become alpha readers. Yes, <laughs> that is true. Man, I want to do that. <laughs> this has been Writing Excuses. You're out of excuses. Now go write. By way of correction, uh, I pointed you guys at a story by Lloyd Biggle Jr. called Toonsmith, which is not actually the story I described to you. The story I described was Unaccompanied Sonata by Orson Scott Card. Both stories are about musicians. As a former musician, I love both stories, but the one that talks about anxiety of influence is Unaccompanied Sonata by Orson Scott Card. Writing Excuses is a Dragonsteel production, jointly hosted by Brandon Sanderson, Dan Wells, Mary Robinette Kowal, and Howard Taylor. This episode was mastered by Alex Jackson. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.